Eagle drive. Left hand and flush over the top of Kepnang. Pull back, step back, three. Bottom! Mavericks, it's short. Tip back in. Weaver got it. Yes! Neely, the handoff. Jones for the tie. Oh, no. oh he's fouled. And one! Presents itself with what you got to take. You can't. It's knocked away. Still loose. Doherty the heave. Oh, oh my God! Welcome to the Straight Out of Whack podcast. What's up, everybody? Another episode of the Straight Out of Whack live show today on this throwback Thursday a little bit. I think we threw it back a little bit in that intro video. I'm going to bring in Daryl here in a little bit. Uh, first, some housekeeping uh, stuff for this episode. Um, first, everyone head on over to the whackhoopsnation.substack.com uh, Substack newsletter. We're writing up things about We have the women's basketball newsletter that Daryl writes. I'll write men's basketball newsletter. We'll have some other articles that come out during the week as well. Uh, so head on over there, subscribe to it so you get it in your inbox so you don't miss them. Uh, you can sign up as a free subscriber or you could sign up as a monthly subscriber for $8 a month. Or if you're feeling generous, we have one for $80 for the whole year, one-time payment. Uh, any support is appreciated. Uh, we love the interaction. We love the fans that are following us that have subscribed already. And we really appreciate it. Like I said before, we're still having this competition. I don't want to say competition, contest that if we can get to 100 yearly paid subscribers by February, by February 1st, so that we can book the hotel, we will book, we will select two subscribers to get their rooms paid for at WAC Vegas in March at the Orleans Hotel uh, for the WAC tournament. So, uh, make sure you share with your friends, subscribe if you haven't, and uh, we look forward to continuing to grow this great content for this great conference. Second thing, if you're planning on going to a ball game, you may have seen me tweet about it, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook the other day, but if you're planning on going to a ball game, whether that be an NFL game, a Major League Baseball game, an NBA game, uh, maybe a concert Go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app to buy your tickets. And when you do buy your tickets, use the promo code WACHHOOPSNATION, all one word, in your promo code so you get $20 off your purchase. If your tickets are only $20, you may get them. That, that'll cover it. So make sure that you use WACHHOOPSNATION on the SeatGeek app or at SeatGeek.com. Uh, yes, we'll get a kickback, but that's part of having a promo code. So that's uh, pretty cool that we partnered up with SeatGeek to have that promo code. So go ahead and use that Whack Hoops Nation, all one word. All right. With that being said, there was one game on the slate on thir- on Wednesday night. That was the Seattle U Red Hawks men's basketball team at San Francisco up on the hilltop. And uh, the game started out real well. See, or Seattle got out to like a 15-point lead in the first 10 minutes. Cam Tyson hit a bunch of three-pointers. He was red hot to start the first half of that ball game. And Seattle was the Seattle team that we kind of expected to see, right? So, uh, but you know how things change. In the second half, they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. And that's crazy because they were on the West Coast. So the, the Dons, San Francisco cut the lead uh, to seven at the break. Like I said, it was a 15-point lead. That was about as high as it got on the night. Uh, there was an 8-2 run by San Francisco to start the second half. 
a four-minute scoring drought for Seattle U late in the second half. It allowed you know the Dons to take advantage uh, and get a five-point lead uh, with just under four minutes to play at the under four media timeout. Uh, it was largely because Seattle U didn't shoot it very well in the second half. They shot under 30% from the field. They hit two three-pointers in the second half. Uh, both of them were by Cam Tyson, who had six on the night, six of the eight three-pointers that the Red Hawks had in the in the game last night against San Francisco. Um, but, you know, there was a three-point play, a pair of free throws by Shea Riley, to, to, and then a three-pointer, Cam Tyson's three-pointer, his sixth of the game with about two and a half to play that tied it at 55. Um, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't meant to be. The Dons had a 61-59 lead with about 12 seconds left after a pair of free throws. Or I shouldn't say pair of free, throw, free throws. Marcus Williams hit one of two uh, to give the Dons a 61-59 lead. And then Cam Tyson had a good look. Unfortunately, you know, his shot from the left wing looked a little rushed or a little pushed. Um, it, was, it was strong, hit back iron. And, uh, you know, San Francisco got the rebound, got fouled. Hit one of two free throws, so it's still a three-point game with three seconds to play. Cam Tyson has to heave one up from half court that uh, didn't find the net. So, um, tough way, you know, 6-2-59 loss. Didn't shoot it well in the second half. The first half was more of the Seattle team we knew we were going to get. Kobe Williamson was really good. Alex Schumacher was really good. Um, Cam Tyson obviously had 22 points in the in the loss. Um, he was the only Red Hawk in double figure. So they got to figure out that scoring. Hopefully, in the next three or four weeks, John Christophilus, the Creighton transfers back. He was averaging, he had 18 points in his first game as a Seattle U Red Hawk. So I should say his only game as a Seattle U Red Hawk. The whack is crazy. You know, we've had three games this week Utah Tech lost at Cal State Northridge, CBU lost at Oregon. Then on Wednesday night, Seattle U lost at San Francisco. The only team that's really won those big games has been Grand Canyon. I know that ACU had that win over Oklahoma State to open the season. Uh, Tarleton ran through the SoCal Challenge um, against Austin P and Cal State Bakersfield. But we really haven't. And, and SFA had that wild game against Drake where they blew out Drake in the Cayman Islands Classic. But then... They get blown out. So, like, we – there's not a lot of consistency right now outside of maybe Grand Canyon. Tarleton's been red hot. They won six in a row, program best. Um, they take on Jack State on Jacksonville State in the WAC Conference USA scheduling initiative on Monday. I'll be there at Wisdom Gym. That'll be awesome. But we just haven't seen the consistency from the WAC yet. Like, we need to see that here in this next two, two and a half weeks before we get back into to, uh, conference play beginning in January. Uh, I want to give a shout-out real quick to the Chicago State men's basketball team, Gerald Gillian and his Cougars getting that win at Northwestern over a ranked, ranked Northwestern squad. First win over a ranked opponent in program history. Love the Cougars. Want to give them a shout-out. We're going to take a 30-second break. Come back. Daryl will be with me. We're going to talk about some whack resume seating stuff uh, as well as some interesting transfer news that has come along.
right, we're back. I'm going to bring in Daryl here. We're going to talk some whack resume seating stuff. Daryl, how are you, my friend? How has your week been? How is the weather in Southern California right now? Let's see. It's, we're headed for 75 today. Um, been a little windy the last couple of days, but it seems like this is the calmest it's been. Um, but yeah, ready to keep an eye on some games and get back into the non-conference for the next couple of weeks and see what happens. Yeah, so uh, it, it's going to be a busy weekend. We have a lot of basketball on Saturday. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I know I'll be up at the Huntsman Center when Utah Valley takes on Utah, so I'm excited about that. Uh, let's talk about this WAC resume seating system right now. Right now, the women's was just updated uh, to show to reflect as of Tuesday. Uh, California Baptists. Well, they hold a two-point lead over everybody else in the WAC. Uh, they they almost lost that lead, Daryl. If we're being honest, they almost lost that lead when they lo- when they beat Pepperdine the other night in Malibu. Like that was a game that they. I, I, I'm pretty sure Jared Olson got heated at his team because he knew they couldn't afford to lose that game. Yeah, and you know. I mean, it's hard to say one loss undoes a great start, but a loss to a team with an interim coaching staff, like the Waves have after Tim Hayes resigned um, in the offseason due to some, well, we'll just call it misconduct issues from what I've heard. Um, But it's one of those things where, yeah, the Lancers are off to a great start, and that one loss was going to undo it all because what what would that loss have been? Negative .71, I think it was? Uh, Point... Negative point six nine points, so almost, almost three quarters of a point. Yeah, like it, it was, it would have been a bad one. Let's just put it that way. It would have been a bad one. I don't. I wouldn't have knocked him out of the one seed, but it would have brought him back to earth. Like that's the thing that you don't want because GCU is playing well right now, um, and so you don't want it. You don't want to be brought back to earth. You want to keep winning and. You know, that's the thing. As long as you keep winning, you'll be fine. So, yeah, I, I, I think they they needed that win. And I don't say needed it because they need to keep, you know, up their appearance. They needed it because a loss would have hurt them there. Yeah. And, you know, it was a big day for Jared Olson, too. Win number 400 in his uh, NCAA career. Um, congratulations, yep. Coach. Um, and the Lancers will pick back up with Cal State Fullerton at this at the uh, Fowler Event Center on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so we're we're going to look more into the seating system right now. There's only uh, three teams that aren't in the negative in the points. So you got California Baptist at three point five. You got Grand Canyon at one point four six. Stephen F. Austin is third at one point two four, and then everybody else is in the negative. That's pretty crazy. That like that's that's crazy. Like right now, as it stands, like CBU could go. Uh, let's see, you get thirty-one games, so they could go. What? What is that? Um, they got twenty-three left. So what am I thinking? They could go seventeen and six and still be the one seed, or at least a top three seed because of where everybody else is at right now. Like, that's just nuts to me. Like, there's no way that they're going to, they could lose three and a half points. I don't know. It's wild where we're at. 
Uh, Utah Tech's in the four spot at negative 1.19. Abilene Christian at, is five at negative 1.47. And they took a half a point penalty the other night when they hosted McMurray because they're playing more than the allotted two non-Division one opponents. Tarleton had to deal with that with Sterling this week when they beat Sterling on Tuesday. Um, that that's just part of you know they they had to put together a schedule. They had that extra game that they wanted to get at home, but and they were willing to take that that you know half point penalty. So that that's interesting to think about with the seating system as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get what they're trying to do. I mean, we need to be playing as many Division One games as humanly possible. So I get, I'm in favor of the penalty. It's going to force the Dobos and the head coaches to to schedule stronger. I mean, if you're Stephen F. Austin on the men's side, if you're if that means having to go out of Nagadoshis for quality games, then so be it. I mean, they're going to have a hard time getting people to go into Nagadoshis. Same on the women's side. If that means our teams have to travel, then so be it. But I'm in favor of making our teams play as tough a schedule as we can get our hands on. And I'm I'm not a big fan of the non-D1 game at this point in the season. Um, even if you do have a gap, I'd rather take the idle day and than have a non-D1 game at that point. Yeah, I think some of it, though, has to deal with the fact that they have to appease the season ticket holders. They have to have a certain amount of home games. So that's one. Two, you know, you don't want to be on the road so much that you don't get to play in your own home gym. So that's another one. And and when teams don't want to come to your home, you know, gym, that's, you know, another part of it. You have to schedule a team that you can get into there. Um, I, I think for me, I, I like the fact that they're challenging teams to put together a, a, a challenging schedule, right? I, I do. The problem is is the net rankings, the way the net is set up and used, it is to whack schools and many other mid-major schools' disadvantage um, in a sense that, well, let's take, I'll take BYU, for instance, because they're in my own backyard. They won't schedule Utah Valley because they've been beat twice by them the last two years. And it just hurts them if they lose. It doesn't really benefit them if they win. And there's always a chance they could lose that game. So instead, they will schedule, uh, gal, who do they schedule? Some podunk team that they can pound and beat by 60 because they're in the Big 12 conference and beating a quad four team by 50 looks better than beating a quad two or three team by 15 or 20 because they're going to get those quad one opportunities in the big 12 on multiple nights. And they could go what three and 11 or whatever, three and 12, three and 14 in the, in the big 12 and still possibly get an at large bid to the NCAA tournament because they play. They will have played such a tough schedule because they've had so many quad one opportunities, and they pounded on the teams that they were supposed to. Whack teams don't get that opportunity, right? There is not many quad one opportunities in league play. 
TCU will be the only one for all the teams in the West. Along with that, they don't get enough quality games to justify an at-large berth, right? I, I know that on the WAC podcast, they talked about possibly having being a multi-bid league. Not, it's not going to happen this year. There's, there's just no way that's going. The only way it happens is if GCU runs the table and somebody knocks them off in the WAC tournament championship game. We've said that before about New Mexico State and so forth and so on. That's the only way the WAC gets a multi-bid league is if GC runs a table throughout the regular season and then makes the WAC tournament championship game only to get upset by a Stephen F. Austin or uh, a Utah Valley or somebody else in that regard. Um, but th- that's the thing. Mid-majors, it's, it's kind of funny to me. Mid-majors want to keep playing these games against these bigger power conference teams you know, because some of them get paid, obviously. They make money. And if they get an upset, they get talked about even more. Chicago State, great example. But why not go play teams of your same caliber? Why not go play teams or have teams of your same caliber come in? I don't know. the. I, I have to talk to more coaches about it. Why more mid-majors don't play mid-majors? Um, you know, like Utah Valley hosted Weaver State. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great ball game for mid-majors. For both Weber State and Utah Valley, that game should be played every year. Utah State, Southern Utah, Utah Tech, Utah Valley, those games should be played every year, right? Um, Texas is the same way. Like, why aren't those Texas mid-major schools playing each other every single year? Or at least making it so you don't have to schedule non-D1s because you have a home-and-home set up with schools that are right there in your state that don't cost you much to travel and could be a bus right away. Like, that, that should not happen, period. But I'm not a coach. I don't understand. You know, I'm not a dobo. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So there's a lot of questions there and how that comes about. I know there's a lot of intricacies that go into it. It just blows my mind when I see uh, a mid-major playing a non-D1 within driving distance of another mid-major who's playing a non-D1. Like, why didn't you just schedule a game? Even if you play on a neutral floor, like, play the game. This shouldn't be challenging, but it is because the net has set it up that way. So um, I know what the WAC's trying to do with this resume seating system. They're trying to challenge teams to schedule a lot tougher, to move up in those net rankings, Kempon rankings, so that they could pos- they could get the highest seed possible at the NCAA tournament. That's That's the goal of this. Um, and eventually, maybe if the WAC can be more consistent in non-conference games and winning conference games, like last night with the Seattle at San Francisco, where they had a chance to win the ball game and they led the majority of the ball game, you know, to win that game. That that's that's what they're trying to get to is to where okay, we're winning these games, beating these other mid majors. We need to be in discussion of a two bid league because you see what the Mountain West is doing. They win those games. Like they, that's why they have four teams in discussion to go to the NCAA tournament again with what they've done. That's and then where, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the rule, doesn't it go to one non D one game next year? Yeah. Yep. It drops down to one. So there's going to, that'll be interesting to see how the teams play out with that scheduling tidbit. So um, I'm just, I, I, the resume seating doesn't make sense to a lot of people. It makes sense to me in terms of what they're trying to do. Now, 
do I agree with the emphasis that it should cover that it should be equal for the entire, you know, uh, body of work? No, I don't. Because here's why: we're playing a 20 game conference schedule now, right? That means that 11 games aren't. So here's the thing: with the two whack conference USA games, right? Technically, teams only have control over nine games on their schedule. Okay. Outside of the two teams that don't play in that WAC CUSA uh, scheduling initiative. But the 20 game conference schedule, that's double what you're playing in non conference. So I think the resume seeding system is good, but I think more emphasis has to be given to league play than the entire body work overall being on equal ground, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how that could be accomplished. I really don't. But I just think that there has to be a little bit more um, given in that regard because, you know, it's a 20-game schedule. You're playing every team twice. Like, there has to be a little bit more given there because the schedules in non-conference play are uneven. So now that you have an even conference schedule, there's got to be something done. And I, like I said, I don't know how – I don't have that resolution. I don't know what the resolution would be. I'm not going to offer that up because I don't know. But I just think that emphasis, there should be a little added emphasis on what happens in conference play. Oh, that was a lot. I'm sorry, guys. I rambled on for a minute there. Let's go look at the men's uh, resume seating system real quick. Take a look at it. I believe there's only, it's pulling up right now. As of Tuesday, uh, maybe you guys paid attention to me and paid attention to the tweet I put out. Daryl, I know you did. Uh, don't lose home games, guys. Like, do not lose home games. Uh, people, you know, were questioning it and why I put that out. Well, Utah Tech was number two coming into the week in the WAC resume seating system. Okay, they were number two or number three, excuse me, number three. They lose to Idaho on Saturday. That dropped them from the three seed all the way to the eight seed because the Trailblazers lost at home to Idaho, one point loss. Doesn't matter how much it was. You lost at home to a sub 300 Ken Palm team. Okay. I believe it was a sub 300 net team, if I remember right. But you lost 0.8. 0.79 points from that loss to Idaho. That killed you. Now you lose to CSU Northridge on the road. You lose 0.54 points there. So in the matter of two games, you have lost 1.33 points. Now you're in the negative. Don't lose home games in this whack resume seating system. Not just lose home games. Don't lose them to lesser opponents. It will kill you. We saw that with SFA last year, with Alcorn State, Northwestern State. Now we're seeing it again with Utah Tech losing to Idaho at home. Daryl, talk to us, Goose. Like, do not lose home games, period. Yep. Home floor is everything in this system. Um, And... You know, you got to defend your home floor, especially, like you said, against those lower 200, 300 
Ken Palm uh, net rate rated teams like the Idaho's of the world, who I believe are rebuilding again under a first year coaching staff, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, I mean Alex Pribble is a former uh, is a former Seattle U associate head coach. So I love Alex Pribble. I have all the respect for him in the world. He's got a he's got a tough job, you know, bringing that Idaho team back. Uh, currently in the net, they are two fifty three in the net. So it wasn't a sub-300 net loss, but sub-300 Ken Palm. And we know where the algorithm comes from, which is Ken Palm's algorithm. So, oh, yeah, you, you can't lose. Home. And the sad thing is, is Utah Tech had a 10-point lead with nine minutes to go. They scored two points over the final nine minutes. Yep, that'll do it right there. And then Monday at Northridge, they were down 15, rallied all the way back to, what, close it to one, I think? Yeah. Two, something like that? There was, get over it, was, the hump. it was tied, and they had a chance to go ahead. Tanner Christensen looked like he had a dunk, but he got hammered. Uh, I'm not going to lie. He got hammered from behind by one defender, and then after the other defender got the ball on the block, he also they also hit his arm. So it should have been a foul call. There wasn't. They go to the other end, and Tanner gets called for a ticky-tack block foul. CSU Northridge walks out of there with the win. So... But the problem is both those losses erased what they did against Utah Valley and CBU. And I don't mean to just harp on Utah Tech. Like, it's the same with, like, SFA. They had a huge win, monster win over Drake in the Cayman Islands Classic. And then they they haven't won since. Like, or they've won one game. They beat ACU in overtime. But they lose at home to Tarleton. They lose at Wyoming, who isn't good this year. Like, it's just been bad, and they got blown out by Utah State. So, it – I don't know. I don't know. It, it's – first off, don't lose at home. Second off, win the games you're supposed to. And third off, please don't let me talk about this again in such a negative light because I love the whack. I want to see the teams do well. Let's win the games that we can, and let's 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 get her done, guys. Like, let, let's get her done. I, I, I mean, it's – We'll get into the schedule uh, for this weekend in just a moment. We'll come back and talk about it. I just, it's frustrating watching these things, Daryl, because I know the teams in the WAC are better than what we've shown so far, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I mean, we've, we've lost plenty of close games on both sides. Yeah. Um, the, one realistically could say that that are winnable. Yep. Yep. I mean, we've got the, the wax got lucky too in some games. Let's be real. You know, Naughty Evans with GCU women on opening night, you know, in that game, they, they easily could have lost St. Mary's. Um, there's been just, it, it's been opportunistic really for WAC teams at times as well. So uh, we're going to see what happens. We'll kind of come back. We're going to talk about an interesting development in the transfer uh I don't want to say portal, but in the waiver situation that's been going on, uh, that could affect two whack teams over the next 14 days. We'll be right back. Uh, Crystal Mullen from Houston saying hello, Crystal. How you doing? I love your interactions. Love when you raise questions, and uh, you are a true Lopes fan. So I uh, wanted to give a shout out to you as we go into this little break.
All right, guys, we're back. Uh, just another little tidbit, little note here. If you're going to a ball game, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, hockey match, uh, soccer, anything that you need tickets for, go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code WACHHOOPSNATION, $20 off your, your order. Uh, make sure you use it. Well, like I said, we get a kickback. That's what a partnership is all about. So make sure you use that. Whack Hoops Nation as your promo code on SeatGeek. Get $20 off your order. Let's talk about this transfer waiver news, I guess. I don't even know what to call it, right? The multi-time, multi-time transferring athletes, uh, the issue that's been going on where uh, if you transfer twice, as a to a you know, if you're a two time division one transfer, the rule was that you had to sit out unless you're a grad transfer or unless you got a waiver, you know, approved. There's been a lot of hype around it, uh, with some major players. Cincinnati, uh, was one of them. Uh, there was another school, I can't remember where it was. I want to say it's West Virginia, was one. Um, there's just been some places that have really made a big stink about it. Cal was another um, with Jalen Tyson. So the there was a lawsuit that was filed last week, um, and there was basically an injunction that was put out uh, by a court in West Virginia yesterday. And now the NCAA says as long as that is in place until the next hearing, I believe it's on December 27th, that as a result of today's decision impacting Division One student-athletes, the association will not enforce the year-in-residency requirement for multi-time transfers and will begin notifying member schools. So those players, those two-time Division One transfers, as of now, for the next 14 days, are eligible to take the floor. This could impact two WAC teams, UT Arlington and the UT Arlington men and the Southern Utah men's basketball team with Rob Jeter. Two players on the T-Birds um, and one player on the Mavs. I Somebody raised a question. So Jameer Simpson and Jamari Sibley for Southern Utah, and then there's Philip Russell for UT Arlington. The big question is, and somebody raised this the other day, is would it be good if these players played and maybe ruined chemistry that is going on right now with those teams? What do you think, Daryl? Do you think these players should, these teams should take advantage of it and let them play? Or as Jason Waters, Tarleton fan, he asked this question. If it is only 14 days and ends up going back to them being ineligible, is it worth messing with team chemistry? Uh, let's see. I just got a notification. CBU has a two-time transfer sitting out as well, as does Utah Tech. So there's a couple of other schools. These were just the ones that I knew off the top of my head for the show. Sorry about that uh, for those that are watching. Thank you for the tidbit and the message. But do you think it's good to let them play in the cup, maybe one or two, maybe three games over this 14 days? Or do you think, let's wait and see what happens after um, 
this time. What do you, what do you I, think? Dan? I don't know that it's worth it for what three, four games tops. Um, to you know, bring guys in who have you know been off for what two months, three months. I mean, they've been going through practices and whatnot, but they haven't seen a live game situation yet. Um, to bring them in for what three, four, maybe five games if you're really heavy scheduled. Um, and to for the possibility that the the NCAA could win at the appellate level and those guys be ineligible again. And you filled with your lineup for three, four games only to lose for the the injunction to be overturned and you go back to the way you were. I would just say if it was me, I'd probably play it out with the guys I have, let those guys wait until that this whole mess sorts itself out because realistically this could find its way all the you know up to a circuit court level. Yeah. To the I mean, circuit court or the Supreme Court. The thing is, is you have to wait to like who you're playing. I'm looking at UT Arlington's schedule for the next three weeks, for the next two weeks before that next hearing on December 27th. They have Air Force at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth. Then they're at Texas Tech on, let's see, that's on Saturday. UT Arlington takes on Air Force at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth on, on Saturday. Then they're at Texas Tech on December 21st. Then they're they go to Denton to take on North Texas on December 23rd. So three big games for the Mavs in that stretch. Is it worth bringing Philip Russell back just for those three games and then waiting to see what happens in the hearing on the 27th? Because what happens if, let's say, hypothetically, this injunction uh, stays, like it stays, so that they can continue playing, you know, like, Maybe it's good to get him in these three games. I, I don't know. That's the problem is we don't know what's going to happen on the 27th, and teams have to weigh what's going on to see what they want to do, right? Like, th that's the problem. It's so unknown because it's like it's 14 days. Why? What do we want to do in that 14 days? Oh, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like CBU has a player uh, on its roster that, is in the same situation, two-time transfer. They are at UC Riverside on Saturday. They host Western Kentucky, and then they host Chicago State on 27th. They may not even, like, if it comes out on 27th that, you know, the court strikes down the injunction, is that two-time transfer, is it worth him just playing two games? Like, that's what's... It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Like, I'm very interested to see what teams do. I'll probably be getting messages, you know, throughout the week to say, hey, this is what's going on. And I know we'll know more on Saturday when teams take the floor with this thing. So I'm very curious how that's going to play out. And the thing of it is, too, that, you know, if those guys play, I believe it said the NCAA put, put out a message that said they will not lose the year of eligibility for playing in the uh, interim period with the injunction in effect is that right yeah they don't lose any eligibility so that's another thing like you it's is it you don't you know it's not going to hurt their eligibility so do you let them take the floor or do you just stick with the chemistry you have now and kind of wait out this two weeks to see okay after the 27 now the injunction is stuck for another hearing that doesn't come until after the season so now they're eligible for the whole season i, I don't know I don't know, Daryl. It, it's so sticky 
that you know coaches and programs have a have a choice to make right like they're in a tough situation i think i'd wait for the appellate court to make its ruling and then schedule whatever appellate hearing the ncaa wants to make um before i decide whether i'm going to play the guys because the 27th comes around the court makes its ruling somebody's going to file an appeal one way or the other right yeah so the way i look at it is it's not worth it for 13 days if it goes back now if the injunction stays and the, the those those multiple d1 transfers are given their eligibility for the full season depending of course on when the next hearing would be scheduled the appellate hearing then yeah, it's worth it to put them in because more likely than not, uh, depending on which district is handling the the uh, case, and I believe it was what West Virginia. Yep. It was a West Virginia federal court. Yeah, um, it, it was in a West Virginia court somewhere. Yeah, and um, you know that's a big thing because they have Raekwon Battle that they've been trying to get eligible, and now he is for the next two weeks. So. I would I would wait to see a how the hearing goes on the twenty seventh and b when the appeals hearing is scheduled before the full panel of the circuit court. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably going to be the case with some because it's like he hasn't you know these guys haven't played the entire you know the first month and a half of the season. We don't want to just thrust them in now. I, I don't know. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see. Like it, it just um, you know. <laughs> It's a mess. Like it, it, it's just the ruling, and people want to say it's the NCAA. It's not the NCAA guys that made the rule. It is administrators. It is athletic directors. It is student athletes from NCAA institutions that are on a committee, a Division One committee or committees that voted on this rule. So it's people that are actively in. The sports that are that made this rule, that voted on this rule. So whether or not you agree with it, that's not the question here. Should guys be able to play immediately? That that's not my decision. You know, um, I think in certain circumstances, you know, whether they their coach moves on or uh, there's some kind of you know event that took place at their former school or something like that. Yeah, but if they're just transferring to transfer because they want to go get money. Um, from NIL deals and stuff like that. I don't know that that should be, they should be allowed to play immediately in that, in those instances. Right. But we don't know why players transfer, you know, we don't know all the details behind them, you know, most of them. So I'm not going to say whether or not it's allowed. I just think that this is a big situation and I'm very interested to see how teams handle, especially those that have, two-time transfers that have been waiting on waiver approvals or had their, you know, a waiver request denied and so forth and how this is going to play out. Like, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, well, uh, think about it, too. The hearing's the 27th, right? Yep. So, court rules, the the next round of lit- litigation is prob- probably won't come until mid-January, beginning of February. Yep. I mean, that's a good hunk of the season at that point. Yeah. At that point, so, I would say it's, it's worth it. That That's eight, ten games. That's worth it to me to play those guys. Yeah. I don't envy being a uh, coaching staff right now or Dobo or anything else dealing with all this or a compliance team at a school. 
I really don't because it's it seems so we want to say it's clear, but it still seems so unclear and there's still so much up in the air that you just don't know what to do, right? So I'm glad I'm not in their shoes and I'm not making those decisions. Oh, I can imagine compliance offices yesterday when that ruling when the ruling came out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're thinking, oh, we're gonna have a chill week heading into the holiday break, and then the the ruling comes out. <laughs> Yeah, it is such a mess. I had one person tell me that they're legal, they're compliance, they're administrators. Like we're all over it trying to figure out what it means. So there's a lot of moving parts here, um, and it'll be very interesting to see. We're going to take another 30-second break, come back. We're going to talk about the weekend, uh, some big games on the slate, busy weekend um, as we get going. And, you know, we'll share some thoughts on this WAC CUSA scheduling initiative as it gets up and going again here in the next this weekend Kind of close out this throwback Thursday episode of Straight Out Whack Live by talking about some games here uh, that were, will be coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going to start on the women's side. Uh, tonight we have the South Texas Showdown in Edinburgh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi at UTRGV Lane Lords team. Still looking for that first. Uh, what do I want to say? That first win of the season, am I right? Or they? Yeah, they're they're yeah, still they're they're okay right now. So they are looking for their first win of the season. Uh, they lost by twenty three uh, to the Islanders back on December fifth, so a little over a week ago. Um, and this game is being held at UTRGV Fieldhouse. It's interesting. Next Wednesday they host number five Texas. UTRGV does. At Bird Ogden Arena. So um Lane Lord's crew looking for their first win of the season tonight in a rivalry game in the South Texas showdown. Uh Daryl, what are some maybe a game or two that kind of sticks out to you on Saturday on the women's side? Uh I'll, you can break down yours and I'll break down maybe mine. Maybe we have the same one, uh, but you know, we'll take a look at it. I want to point out that the UT Arlington Sam Houston game is not part of the WAC CUSA alliance or scheduling initiative. Um, that is just a regularly scheduled game because Sam Houston comes to Utah Valley on uh, where is that? Comes to Utah Valley on December 21st, and then UTRGV goes to Sam Houston on December 30th. So just wanted to point that out. But, uh, Daryl, share your thoughts on maybe a game that sticks out to you on Saturday. Well, that Saturday slate, um, I'm eager to see uh, Jody Adams and the New Mexico State women again um, at Utah Valley. I th think the tip time on that changed to 1 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it's in Las Cruces at 1 o'clock on Saturday. They moved it up a little bit because. 
of the bowl game that the Aggies are in in the New Mexico Bowl that evening. Okay. And then the other game on Saturday that really caught, you know, uh, Utah making the trip to Southern Utah in Cedar City. Um, Tracy Mason's group coming off of that 58-40 win over New Mexico. Um, how long will they be able to hang around with the, the running Utes? Yeah, and if I remember right, the Utes are ranked, is it 11 right now? Something up there. Maybe It's in the top 20. I know that. I'm going to look it up here. But, yeah, to get Utah to come to Cedar City, like a nationally ranked team, to come to Cedar City, that I I I need to get maybe we'll ask Tracy Mason to come on and explain how in the world they got the Utes to come down there. Um, because you don't see that very often, right? You don't see a ranked opponent go play a whack school um at their home gym. So I'm trying to pull up the rankings here. Uh yeah, Utah is currently 11 in the AP top 25 and number 10. In the coaches poll, they were as high as seven um, in the coaches poll before they lost this past. I believe they lost this past week, but it was to um, number one, South Carolina. So, yeah, that is going to be a huge, huge challenge. Um, good ball game, you know, for the purpose that you get a top twenty-five team to come down to Cedar City to play. But yeah, that 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 was a game that kind of stuck out to me on that schedule. Um, I, I, I'm on board with that Utah Valley at New Mexico state game. Um, you know, former WAC school, New Mexico state, Jody Adams, you know, they had, they, they got, they had that heartbreaking loss in the WAC tournament to Southern Utah and Sharita Daughtry's, Sharita Daughtry, Sharita Daughtry's prayer, um, that won the game for the Southern Utah T-Birds. And then they lost kind of in epic fashion in this women's, you know, basketball invitational championship game to California Baptist. So, uh, you know, that, that mantra team family believe. And then Dan, you know, Nielsen's crew, they've kind of struggled. They've been in ball games. They just haven't been able to finish. I, I mean, they're, they've been inconsistent really, you know, they beat Weaver state to start off. They had two straight losses. They beat Idaho on the road, lost at Seattle U, lost to Utah Tech, hung around with Idaho State uh, in Pocatello, despite being down by double figures, you know, multiple times. And then they blasted Utah State by 30 points in Orem last Saturday. So I guess, Daryl, the question is, which Utah Valley team are we going to get on Saturday in Las Cruces? Like, yeah, that's my question. And, and I, you look at Dan Nielsen's schedule, he's played the lower half of the big sky, basically, for his uh, preseason. I believe Utah State was picked last in the big sky preseason. Uh, Weber wasn't picked much higher. Um, Idaho, with a new coaching staff, hung around with Oregon, and that's probably their best win, yeah. is Idaho. Um, yeah, so I, I just don't know. And... and... You know, Utah Valley's won the last two in Las Cruces, uh, dating back 2019-20. They won by four. Um, and then they won in 2021-22. They won by 34 over uh, Brooke, Brooke Atkinson's team. Uh, they have won three of four in the series. They lost an overtime in – or New Mexico State won an overtime in Orem last year, 63-57. So that'll be an interesting game. Very interesting. It'll be – I. I 
personally, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game because both Jody Adams and Dan Nielsen are all about the defense and half-court offense and uh, playing very physical basketball. So uh, very intriguing always to have former WAC schools play each other. Um, another one that happens is UT Arlington. Uh, Sharika Wright and the Lady Mavs go down to uh, face Raven Justice and the Sam Houston Bearcats. So there's a couple good ones there. Um, the only home teams on Saturday are CBU, Utah Tech, who hosts Bethesda, and then Southern Utah, obviously, hosts number 11, Utah. Sunday's games, there's a that big middle one on Sunday. That, that Middle Tennessee SFA game is huge. Yep. As Another part of the initiative. USA game uh, as the Lady Jacks go to Middle Tennessee, and Middle Tennessee is one of the best uh, mid-major women's programs in the country. Um, I'm going to take a look here. Uh, this I week, I want to say I Middle Tennessee was 14. Yeah, let's Some... see if we can find it here. I don't have it pulled up, but I'm going to look at it right now. Um, yeah, I got it. Middle right. Tennessee was 14th in this week's mid-major poll. So Middle Tennessee is 56 in the... Um, and the NCA net rankings right now. So that's a big opportunity for Molly Miller's crew uh, to see, or not Molly Miller's crew, excuse me, even though, you know, the, the Lopes do play Middle Tennessee this year. Uh, but that's a big thing for Leonard Bishop's crew. You know, they've played really well. They battled with um, Alabama last week. So they've shown glimpses of what, they're going to be under Leonard Bishop. They won, I believe it was what, six in a row before that, five in a row? Yeah. Um, before that loss to Alabama. And they, were, they hung around for three and a half quarters, and then Alabama just pulled away late. And they actually so, led in that game, too. And um, I was listening to the Alabama post-game show. So they won and, five in a row, beat Portland. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, Kyle, I was listening to the Alabama post-game show on Sunday after that game, and uh, Alabama coach Christy Curry was really complimentary about the play of Kirsten Harton and uh, Trinity Moore that day. She basically said that the SFA posts kicked her Alabama post players' butts <laughs> that afternoon. And that's for awesome. an SEC coach to say that about our post, our, the quality of post play we have in the WAC, that's a big compliment. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So that's a big game on Sunday. Uh, the other one, GCU, is at Idaho. Uh, the Lopes should roll in that game. Uh, so we'll see if they can keep things rolling. Uh, the Lopes, the preseason favorites right now. Well, let's talk about the men's. Um, let's see. Tonight we have – it's a doubleheader. Or not tonight. Friday night it is a uh, U Texas A&M, Corpus Christi at UTRGV. Uh, excuse me. Rematch of the South Texas Showdown. UTRGV got the best of the Islanders in the first matchup. Um, they beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi 76-74 in Corpus Christi. So uh, they get to host the Islanders on Friday. And then on Saturday, full slate of games, all against Division One opponents. Um, UT Arlington and Air Force, obviously, at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth. California Baptist at UC Riverside. They go across town. Uh, 
And then North Dakota at Utah Tech. The Trailblazers trying to get back on the winning track at Burns Arena. That's a 7 p.m. Mountain Time tip-off. Southern Utah is that former Big Sky foe, Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona has two wins over WAC schools this 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 season. They beat Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena, and they beat Abilene Christian at Moody Coliseum. Please, Southern Utah, beat the Lumberjacks to not let them have a perfect record against WAC schools in 2023-24. Like, just do it, please. Um, and then Grand Canyon plays Portland in the Jerry Colangelo Classic at Footprint Center. Um, that's a 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time. I'll be at Utah Valley at Utah at the Huntsman Center, 2 p.m. tip-off. Uh, that's on Pac-12 Network. Um, Utah Valley played well at Oregon State you know, last Saturday. I'll get another Pac-12 school who's coming off a big win over BYU. Uh, size is going to be huge because Utah has a ton of it. Utah Valley has seven-footer Trevin Dorius, but if he gets in foul trouble, they're in trouble. So... Uh, there's a lot of games to like. Um, Sunday, there's a couple of big ones as well. Uh, UTEP, Joe Golding, former Abilene Christian head coach who took the Wildcats to the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, uh, returns to Moody Coliseum, which he had a big part in getting that arena renovated uh, to face his former associate head coach, Brett Tanner, one of his best friends. I will be there at Moody Coliseum for that 3 p.m. Central tip-off. Uh, and then Washington and Seattle, you do battle at Climate Pledge Arena on Sunday evening, 5 p.m. Pacific time tip off there. So a lot of basketball this weekend, a lot of basketball, and we're here for it. Go ahead, I'm excited Darryl. for that Saturday afternoon uh, Crosstown Showdown. Um, UC Riverside pushed UCLA to the buzzer last, I think it was a week and a half ago or so, at yep. um, Pauly before falling. So that's going to be a really big test for the Lancers. Yep, and we'll see how they re rebound from their, you know, how CBU rebounds from uh, their loss at Oregon the other night. So, yeah, a lot of basketball, everybody. We're going to be back tomorrow with this Straight Out Whack Live. Again, 12.30 Mountain Time. Uh, we'll be here on the daily. So we'll talk more about those games and any news that comes up. Send us some stories if you want. Whack Hoops Nation on Twitter. DM us on Instagram. Same thing. Uh, but we're here for it. Straight Out Whack Live for Daryl, for myself. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening to the Straight Out of Whack podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Remember to follow Whack Hoops Nation on all your favorite social media platforms.